0: Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences.
1: Oh, oh this is a whole new thing that's happened.
0: Should, <laughs> you,
1: instead of... Having your phone scroll, scroll, not looking, I've no eye contact and for me. There is actual printing, actual yeah. highlighting. Has I'm happened.
2: A po- I'm a real, am a real professional so podcaster.
1: You highlight a lot too.
2: Yeah. Okay. When people ask me what I do, they say, "I say I'm a podcaster. I'm a professional podcaster." <laughs> That's
1: what I say. Yes, yes. We okay. won't be making a living out. We make no money from this. Can we just say, make that clear? No. <laughs> do we, have we just to do tell it for fun. Back. Well, I think it makes us both pathetic, but somehow charming. No, yeah, I know. At the we get zero time.
2: money, nothing. We, we
1: do this doing because this. we love it.
2: It's true. You're making it sound like we're lying. But we're not. We're getting <laughs> no. nothing out of this, but we love doing it. And that's why we're here with you doing this. It the is podcast. our gift
1: to you. Mm. Mm.
2: You're welcome. Okay, so last episode. We heard from Christopher Bananas. Bananos who lives in New York, and I had mentioned to him about 9 11. Yes. So, I, something we haven't really touched on is obviously thousands of people died when the Twin Towers was fell. Close to 3,000? Yeah, I, I think, think. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, have you been there? Yeah. Yeah. You have? Yeah. What'd you think?
1: Oh, uh, the first time I went, I've mm. been there several times now. But the first time I went, they only had the tribute center, not the Hold museum, to cut you which off. is. Yes,
2: where were you when the twin towers fell?
1: Uh, I was at work. I was actually reading the news on another station. Yeah, and what happened? Yeah, um, the so the the actual museum hadn't opened. Only the mm. tribute center. Which was on that sort of is it Chambers Street it was on one of the side streets, mm. anyway? Uh, VC Street, um, near the site of the World Trade Center buildings. And we were just being tourists. And I went, Oh, it's here, here's the visitor center, let's go in. And yeah. went in there, not obviously not having fun, not skipping, no, but also not, not really. prepared yeah, for. I'm actually probably going to cry remembering it. It hit me like a ton of bricks, yeah, because there was a wall of photographs, of mm. actual photographs that people mm. had obviously pinned up after the towers came down saying, have you seen Jenny?" and this, mm. have you seen and the yeah. desperation, the sadness, the number of people. There was a couple of relics. I think there was a shoe covered in dust. Yeah. But I just wasn't prepared for the gravity of it to hit mm. me and it hit me like A ton of bricks. Uh, Yep. And I sat down at that stage. There was a little seat in the middle of the room and there were boxes of tissues there. I obviously wasn't the first person that had been affected that way. And I just cried and cried for quite a long time.
2: In 2015, and I think similar to you, not that I thought I was going for a fun day out, but Mm. it was on our list of places to go. Yep, Before Century
1: 21 over the road for a bit of bargain shopping. yeah. exactly
2: right. And so we went there and similar to you, as soon as I got there I didn't want to take photos. Mm. Cuz I saw people smiling and taking photos in front of the big fountains, the water feature they have that sort of imprints the to where the towers were. Yeah. And I felt really awkward. I felt like it was not a place to take photos mm. and like smile in front of those because I felt like it's a you know, it's where people lost their lives and it just yeah. didn't feel like it was appropriate. And sure, people were doing that and perhaps people that are listening to this podcast have done it, but I just couldn't – it really dawned on me that we were sort of at a gravesite. Yeah. So it's been 17 years, am I right? 2001. Mm. Uh, there were 22,000 pieces of human remains mm. found in the rubble and there are still 10 dedicated – forensic scientists who are trying to get remains back to their loved ones right now. Gosh. Isn't that incredible that there there are still people working so hard um, to return those pieces? Mm. And when I say pieces, some of them are just really tiny little bits of bone. Um, And I started thinking about this because there is a documentary about it and about how people just got nothing they got nothing at all back. They People went to work that day. Uh, the towers fell. They knew their loved ones were in there and that was it. Mm. They never got bodies. They never got
1: anything. The thing in the museum which is there now, the thing that stayed with me the most, and again, like you, I didn't take a photograph, but yeah. when I was home I kept trying to describe it to people Yeah, and couldn't, and I think my – daughter went some years later and I said, can you take a photograph of that thing? And I've got it. Um, it. It's a piece of it just looks like a chunk of debris. But I think they said it was like maybe three or four levels of the building compacted, compacted. down into this lump that's about a metre high. And so you when you see that, you realise the pressure that the building – and the victims were put under. There's no way they will ever. Apparently they started pulling it apart to try and find remains. and But they just gave up because there was just no way they could determine who was there and
2: yeah. what was in. So in to it. be respectful, I want to get it right. So September 11, 2001, mm-hmm. 2,996 people were killed, mm. um, obviously including the people that did the terrible crime. So I think some people would probably not include them in that total, but yeah, fair enough that too. is the total. Uh, since then, the forensic teams have been able to bring closure to just over 1,600 families mm. by identifying that. And they've used different techniques of DNA. They've had to keep, you know, it's been 17 years and obviously DNA has evolved through that time and They've had to work out different ways to extract DNA from things like bone, mm. and they have kept updating the technology, and every time the technology gets better, they go back and they retest all those pieces. Wow. And there are some families around the world who need, what for whatever the reason is or whatever the rules are in that country, because obviously some people were from overseas, um, some people need... It's a rule in the church or whatever that they need three pieces of a body to be able to bury a body.
1: Oh yeah, no, I watched that documentary. There was yeah, an Irish couple, correct? Yeah. So for
2: some people, it's really important that they these pieces are continually tested because they might have two pieces, and you know, it's 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 quite it's. I don't. I'm trying to pick my words carefully because I'm trying mm. to be respectful. It's it's quite daunting, I think, for some people because they just get these pieces of back in an envelope in the mail and it says, you know, this is part of the femur of your loved one.
1: Mm. You know, that's all they get. And you would want some sort of conclusive proof that if you thought someone who you loved was there that day, if there was no evidence ever found, I know I would think – Maybe, Maybe he didn't go there that day. Maybe yeah. he went would somewhere too. else. And, yeah, I would too. Yeah. I need
2: something. I need to be able to see it. There are still just under 7,500 remnants left. Now, I know some were buried in three different – they put the rest, some of them in three different coffins and buried them. So I'm not 100% sure if there are still some, but there are, there are testing. I think they buried parts of some. Mm. Um, but there are still – people waiting to get pieces of their loved ones back in the mail
1: oh, all these 17 years later. years later. Incredible, isn't mm. it? I watch every single documentary on 9-11. I just I have I can't. Too. Every single time I have to look at it again.
2: Well, 3,000 people went to work that day. Yeah. Almost 3,000 people went to work and then they were gone.
1: It just doesn't matter how many times you see it. Your brain cannot accept what you were seeing. No. And you can't process it. No. Yeah. It's not out of... I don't know what's you know we we do this podcast. We're both morbidly curious, and that's that's human nature. But it's it's also a thing with me with nine eleven of just trying to understand mm. it. And mm. every time you see a different view, I think, oh, I've stood there, I've looked, yeah. down. yeah.
2: And like we said in the last podcast, it's watching the watchers and mm. those images of people standing with their hands over their mouths, oh. and then realizing the towers were going to fall, and yeah. then running. It's such powerful it's Just imagery. as just distressing
1: to see the people who were standing up in Times Square, which is, as you yeah. would know, quite a long way from the yeah. the um, site of the towers. But to see their reaction as they're watching the, the news ticker go past with the news of it, it was, um, yeah, incredible. Uh, we've had an email from Claire, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Podcast at gmail.com. She says, hi, ladies, love the podcast. More Aussie dead bodies would be greatly appreciated. Oh, uh, she also pops in a guess here. My guess at the resting place. What a quaint expression. Chanel ain't resting anything. <laughs> she's just dumping that body. The resting place of Chanel's chopped up dead partner. Oh, so she's got oh, the extra mile in the throat. She's, she's identified the body. Kill, killed him off.
2: <laughs> but I can't seem to be here. <laughs> yes. So... Nicholas yes. doesn't listen to my
1: podcast. No, don't let him. Don't even no, tell so him he we does do it. it. And I said to Where's him the other the day, because we were
2: sort of we were bickering, and I said, oh, well, not that you've listened to it anyway. And he was like, oh, I just, you know, I'm busy. He was making up excuses. And I said, well, you're probably better that you don't, because I talk about murdering you all the time on it.
1: <laughs> He'll never know. I think oh. my husband listened to the first one mm. and then just – I don't think he has listened oh, further. My,
2: he doesn't watch my new stories either. It's just
1: whatever. No, yeah. I don't think Karen listens to no. my radio show either. No. And that's fine. Um, Claire says the disused mine shaft is her guess. No one required to help. No one looking in old mines. Everyone,
2: oh. Everyone's going down. And that's Everyone. a no? No, it's a no. Okay. But everyone's doing the guess
1: down. But for Claire, be careful what you ask for, Claire. You're asking for Aussie dead bodies... Let's have a look at one of the worst ever. Oh, I going am going motel. to tell you. I am going the the bodies in the barrels. Oh, do you know this story? I do. It's actually this, or well, all known as the Snowtown Murders. This is one that I kind of know about, but I remember when the story happened at the time. Mm. I reached a point where I was like, I can't. No, I can't even. Yeah. There was a movie came out, mm. and again, I can't even.
2: Barrels are a thing that it's like. Barrels are like, if someone goes into a hardware store and buys balaclavas, you know they're up to no good.
1: If they're buying barrels, they're up to no good. Yeah,
2: it's one of those things. Oh, I'll have a balaclava and a crowbar. Right, I'll call the cops to follow you.
1: In case you're not familiar with the story, uh, 12 people were murdered in South Australia between August 1992 and May of 1999. The remains of eight victims were found in barrels of acid in a disused bank building in Snowtown. Mm. Three days later, two bodies were found buried in a backyard in Salisbury North. Uh, A total of four people were arrested and charged and they were led by a man, a monster, named John Bunting. Now, he has been described as Australia's worst serial killer and I think in terms of numbers of bodies, it beats Belangelo and can't think what else. I mean, there's Port Arthur, isn't there? But he's mm. certainly one of the worst. He was born in 1966 in Queensland. When he was a boy, his favourite pastime was burning insects in acid. Oh. When he was a teenager, he was a neo-Nazi. And he took depraved pleasure from torturing and killing people that he thought were destroying society. He called them waste. Now, he claims, he actually said that when he was a young boy, he was raped by pedophiles. And this spawned his hatred of pedophiles and homosexuals. Now, can I just be clear on something here? It's him that is linking those two things. If somebody is homosexual, it does not automatically mean that they are a pedophile. Mm. In certain say- cases, Absolutely. they are but they are, in my mind and in most people's rational minds, they're completely separate things. But in his mind, pedophiles and homosexuals were one and the same. He had an accomplice by the name of Robert Wagner and they bragged and laughed about what they, they did as they did these murders. He was not very very impressive man, this um, John Bunting. He was short. He was only five foot four and yet he was quite manipulative. Somehow he was able to gain control of people that he came across. Was he
2: charming? And, Is there anything about him being charming? Well,
1: Yes. Yeah, Charming is probably common. too strong a word, but yeah. it was that thing where, it, yes, where yeah. he was able to somehow get people to do what he wanted to bring them around to his way mm. of thinking. In uh, December 1991, so Bunting and his wife at the time, they moved into the suburb of Salisbury North, which is in South Australia. And it's a very low socioeconomic area, mm-hmm. certainly was at the time. They met a guy called Barry Lane, another man called Robert Wagner and Mark Hayden. They all lived nearby where they were living. And uh, John Bunting and Robert Wagner, it disturbs you that Robert Wagner has the name of a famous movie star. And it happens a few times in this story, actually. A few of the people have got shared names Names. with other people. Um, Bunting and Wagner both bonded over their hate for gays and for pedophiles. This is similar
2: to another episode, Emmett Till, sorry. It blows my mind. Yes, where two people... ...can have such such hatred for...
1: For a for something or for,
2: someone, yeah, yep. it blows my mind that there's more such people extreme too. Violence can be born out of someone's hatred.
1: Yeah, mm. uh, Bunting also became friends with a woman by the name of Elizabeth Harvey. Now she was a single mother, and she had um, several teenage children, but one of them was a 14-year-old called James Vlasakis, obviously from a different father. Mm-hmm. And Bunting groomed Vlasakis. Vlasakis moved in with him. And Bunting became like a father figure to Vlasakis and filled his head with prejudice and hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd made a display on the wall in his house with post-it notes and bits of string, a bit like Carrie in in um, Homeland. Do you watch Homeland? Yeah. I, know, yeah, I know, She's always, always about, got like graphs have the, and, um, skin, and strings and people. Yeah, and the war room. Yeah. He called it the spider wall or the wall of spiders because rock spider is a... a Term that's often used to describe pedophiles. He had um, post it notes with the names of alleged pedophiles who lived in the area, joined by pieces of string. So he got completely into this young boy, v- Lasarcus's head, and the two of them, at first they started by just going out and vandalising the homes of people that they thought were pedophiles or right. gay. Their first victim, or Bunting's first victim, was in August 1992. His target was um, a young man called Clinton Tresize, only 22 years old, and Bunting accused him of being a pedophile. He invited... Tresize over to his home, and he bashed him to death with a shovel in his living room. Tresize was found buried a couple of years after his murder in a shallow grave at Lower Light in South Australia, and it was another three years before Bunting murdered again. Mm. All that we know of, or it definitely uh, was? Well, that we know of, yeah, okay. I think so. Okay. So the next victim was a man by the name of Ray Davies who was intellectually disabled. He lived in a caravan behind the house of a woman called Suzanne Allen. Mm. Um, and she told Bunting that this guy, Ray Davies, had made advances towards her grandson. So that just right. made Bunting furious. He tortured um Davies Wagner worked with Bunting on this. They they tortured him together. I actually don't know how, how um, detailed to be with what they did with the tortures. And I don't think I will be too much because it's just, you, you can look it up yourself. You it's, it. it's just horrible. I don't think I need to. But they tortured him. I will say that they used a pole to hit him around his groin area. So mm. these were, you know, it was the sexuality yeah. of it that they were targeting. Right. Uh, they eventually killed him and they buried him in the backyard of Bunting's home. Suzanne Allen, the woman who had made this claim, um, she was infatuated for some reason with bunting. Now, she um, disappeared 11 months later and her body was found buried with Ray Davies as well. The next victim was a man by the name of Michael Gardner. Again, shares a f- name with a famous person, a Michael Gardner who played for the West Coast Eagles and for St Kilda. It's yep. not him, it's a different one. He lived around the corner from uh, Robert Wagner and he was openly gay and he used to walk around town wearing women's clothes. He loved right. to dress and wear heels and things like that.
2: That would have sent him mad?
1: Absolutely did. His body was found in one of the barrels in Snowtown and it was crammed in with another body. And one of his feet had been removed so that they could get the lid closed. They just had no respect for human life at all. So a month after Gardner was murdered, Wagner and Bunting made friends with an alleged pedophile called Barry Lane. Yes, you heard me correctly. They made friends with a pedophile. They did that to get information from him. So they talked to him at length. They got details on who they thought were – or who he believed in the area were child molesters. Once they'd got the – all that evidence out of him, they tortured him with pliers. Mm. They made him call his elderly mother while they were killing him. And she said that she could hear laughing and giggling in the background. Barry Lane ended up in one of the barrels and this is where they sort of escalated what they were doing. They claimed his Centrelink benefits, oh. which was something that they went on to do with a number of their victims. But that definitely wasn't their motivation. Their motivation was the hatred. Right. That was just um, an
2: added bonus.
1: Yeah. Their next victim was a, a young guy by the name of Thomas Torvilian, who was a teenager. He suffered from schizophrenia. And he had annoyed Robert Wagner by scaring his de facto daughter with a knife. His body was found hanging from a tree uh, near Kersbrook in 1997. It was made to look like a suicide, but police right. believe it was a murder carried out by Wagner and um, and Bunting.
2: That's weird, isn't it, Con- considering how violent all the others yeah. have been?
1: Yeah, they tried to disguise that one. Um, James Vlasakis, the young man, he had in the meantime become quite a heavy drug user with amphetamines and heroin. And the next victim was a man that that, uh, James Vlasakis had been living with before he moved in with Bunting. Um, It was a young guy called Gavin Porter. Now, he was also a drug user and Bunting lost his temper after being – he sat on a couch – that um, this Gavin Porter had been using, and he'd been—he was jabbed by a syringe that oh. Porter had been using to take drugs. So Bunting lost his temper. He, uh, while Porter was asleep in his car in the driveway of Bunting's house, Bunting and Wagner m- m- murdered him, and they stored his body in a barrel. And Bunting actually showed Lasarcus the body. Um. It had a rope around the neck and Vlasakis said it was just a mess, just ugly, but then went on to claim his Centrelink's payments as well. Mm. Um, A lot of this information actually came from James Vlasakis, who was... Charged over some of the killings, but he ended up becoming the star witness for the prosecution. Right. So he once flipped. once they'd all been caught, he yeah. actually told the police everything that he knew. Um, the next victim was James Lasarcus's twenty two year old half brother, right. a young man called Troy Ude. Um Lasarcus claimed that Troy Yude had been violent towards him in the past, so. Wagner and Bunting, they actually gave Vlasakis a pair of handcuffs and a wooden chair leg and they ordered him to get revenge on his half-brother himself. So they woke Troy in the middle of the night. They, They beat him. They handcuffed him. They forced him into the bathroom. They bashed and tortured him with pliers in a bathtub. Wagner strangled him with a rope. And and was apparently laughing as he died. They wrapped the body in garbage bags and they stored him in a shed before placing him in a barrel as well. And went on to claim his Centrelink payments. Now, about three weeks later, the next murder, um, Fred Brooks and his mum Jodie Elliott had moved in. They just moved to Adelaide uh, for some reason. Uh, Bunting said that Brooks was dirty and a paedophile. There was no actual basis for that belief. And in, and in fact, with a lot of these victims, police didn't find any evidence that they were what yeah. Wagner and Bunting claimed that they were. Uh, so Bunting, Wagner and Vlasakis all killed Fred Brooks again with a torture session in a bathtub. Mm. And he was made to make a false confession into a tape recorder about having sexually abused young girls, but there was no actual evidence apart from that forced confession. His treatment, and I've skipped over a lot of the gory details, but it was just, it's, it's just unimaginable. So they handcuffed him, they thumbcuffed him. He was semi-naked and, in a bath. He was punched and injected in his testicles. He had electrodes attached to his testicles. Mm. They put lit cigarette butts in his nose and his ears. They lit a sparkler and they inserted it in his penis. He was then bashed to death, wrapped in plastic and placed in the boot of a car and was kept in a shed before the body was placed in a barrel. Gary O'Dwyer, 29-year-old, had an intellectual disability from a car accident when he was young and he had a limp and he walked the streets. Bunting decided to kill him just because he was different.
2: They're killing people like they're taking the bins out. It's horrible. It's horrible. And it never, never ceases
1: to amaze me how horrible humans can be to humans. Mm. And they'd got into a kind of a rhythm of...
2: Yeah, just doing it. ...what
1: they were doing. So they lured... Uh, Gary O'Dwyer to their home, they gave him alcohol, they grabbed him behind, they handcuffed him, they tortured him in the kitchen and they also tape-recorded him before they put his body in a barrel. And his body had burn marks, which were, they said, they'd been using like an electric shock machine on him.
2: Can I ask a quick question? Mm.
1: Because I actually don't know. um, Forgive me if you don't know the answer.
2: What time period are we talking about?
1: This is in the 1990s. And what's the, how... Where did we say... Yeah, between 92 and 99. Right. Mm. Okay. Uh, they after they'd killed um, O'Dwyer, they stole his furniture and they collected his Centrelink payments. So all up, they took around about ninety five thousand dollars from their victims' welfare benefits. They've
2: gotten away with it for a while. Yeah.
1: And the police actually on one of the cases, they rang and checked on um, Elizabeth. Where? Yeah. And he said, "Oh, no, she's gone away." And I think when they looked at her bank account, she was still... Claiming. Yeah, because they were using it. They were saying, oh, yeah. she's still claiming a benefits. So she's obviously just doesn't so it's want a long,
2: to get away. to 99, it's a long time for all these people to yep. have gone missing and they're still... They haven't skipped town or
1: anything. They're no. just living their lives. Exactly. Our next victim was Elizabeth Hayden. Uh, Bunting absolutely loathed her. It, so this was November 1998. Bunting mm-hmm. and Wagner, they dragged her into the bathroom. She was tortured and killed and she was left with a rope around her neck, which was something they did to a lot of the bodies, and a gag inside her bow- mouth and they put her body in a barrel. Now, four days after she was, uh, she was murdered mm-hmm. or she disappeared, she was reported missing. And so that is what finally triggered the investigation. So I think it was November 1998, the police began an active investigation and they questioned both Bunting and Wagner. Bunting at that point panicked. So he had the barrels at that point at his home, but um, he and Hayden had leased a, a disused bank in Snowtown and they decided to move the barrels to there in the hopes, obviously, of not being discovered. During one of their visits there, Bunting actually pointed to a barrel containing uh, Elizabeth Hayden and said, she's rotting nicely. So they were looking in them. And they joked about it, yeah. Uh, They weren't done, though, with the killing. Their last murder on May the 9th, 1999, was committed while the police actually had them under audio surveillance. Their victim was... James Vlasakis' de facto half-brother, a guy called David Johnson, again with a famous name. David Johnson was a great Melbourne newsreader. Not him. No, not him. Um, So Vlasakis, because he knew him, he told him he could get a good price on a computer and that he would take him to Snowtown and that's where the computer was. So he actually took him. And this was the only actual murder that took place in Snowtown. Mm. Unfortunately, Snowtown became tainted with the whole murder because that's where they were found. Yeah. Uh, So they took him into the bank or Vlasarcus led him into the bank and he was killed in what was later described as a torture frenzy. Mm. Um, During the attack on him, Vlasarcus and Wagner went out to a service station to try his PIN number at an ATO. And when they got back, he was dead uh, with his own belt wrapped around his neck and they helped to dismember his body Honestly, I keep hesitating and thinking, "Will I say this because it's just so awful. But apparently in his particular case, they actually fried and ate parts of his flesh. That's the absolute depths of depravity. They'd they'd reached it. They then stuffed his body into one of the barrels. I'm actually shaking telling this. And I'm wondering, is it the thing, thing and I'm
2: not a psychologist and I don't even... Attempt to say that I know anything about psychology, but I'm wondering if it's that pack mentality as well. Mm. Like they're being coached on by each other. I don't know if that's a thing. to it...
1: become a thing. But look, I think Bunting definitely was. He was had some power over them yeah. whatever that was. Yeah, but he and Wagner together. Yeah, it was. I'm not saying that it's
2: easier to eat human flesh because you've got someone
1: alongside you that's doing no. it. But
2: when you're that. If they're, if they're
1: laughing, if they're yeah. if it's they're somehow, I hate it. when people say murder spree because to me, a spree is something. It's a shopping spree. Yeah, it shouldn't. That's a joyful word, and it it's shouldn't be part flimsy. of it. Uh, so it was eleven days after that killing that detectives found the bodies in the barrels. They found handcuffs and knives and gloves and other items that had been used in the murders. Um, Examiners were called in to try and identify the remains. They found a lot of them were mummified rather than dissolved. So they'd put acid, uh, hydrochloric acid in, and it tends to mummify remains. But they were able to establish who all of those victims were. So charges were laid against Bunting, Wagner, Hayden, and Vlasakis. But as I mentioned a moment ago, um, James Vlasakis, he pleaded guilty to four of the murders and... Um, he, as star witness, there was obviously some sort of a deal there, but he's still serving life right. with a 26-year minimum. Bunting so he, he
2: probably would have got a minimum.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, Bunting and Wagner, they went to trial together, Bunting on 12 counts of murder and Wagner on 11. The trial lasted for around about a year. Three jurors had to quit because of the horror of the evidence. Yeah, events. we've spoken about that before. mm mm-hmm. The jury deliberated for seven days. They found guilty uh, Bunting guilty of 11 murders and Wagner guilty of seven and both have been sentenced to life without parole.
2: Yeah, so before you said Lasarcus got a minimum and I said he probably would have got a minimum, which sounded like I was just repeating what you were saying, but because he cooperated, he yes. gets the hope. Of one day being released, yeah. and the others have none. They're just staying in there.
1: Well, the only other one who was charged was Hayden. Um, hang on, no, I'll get to him in a minute. Um, I just wanted to mention to you that during the case, so as I said, it's very distressing, one of the jurors had mm. to, or three of the jurors had to leave. Yep. Um, Bunting read a book during the sentencing hearing. Oh. It was like he just Like didn't a real F
2: you didn't care.
1: And Wagner yelled Surprise. out in the court, I decided to take action and I took action. Thank you. Incredible. Uh, the sentencing judge, Justice Brian Martin, said that while Bunting and Wagner had, they, they thought themselves to be vigilantes who took care of pedophiles, he said many of their victims were neither gay nor pedophiles. Um, they both appealed their convictions. They were both denied. Good. Yeah. Great. Don't care. You usually like to give a little bit of editorialising on the sentence. You're okay with that? I like to Uh, do that in my
2: news stories sometimes too. Now, Mark, no, you
1: They used to do that in the old days in the dead body stories. You know, he yes. was murdered, and rightly so, or he was hanged. Yes. That's my style of reporting. I just <laughs> like to just slip a little bit of opinion in there. Uh, Mark Hayden, who apparently laughed when he saw his wife's body in the bank vault in Snowtown, he had a separate trial. He was convicted of assisting in seven of the murders. Mm-hmm. He's serving 25 years jail, and last year he applied for bail, but he was denied. Um James Vlasakis's mother, Elizabeth Harvey, she knew about the murders, and she participated in one of them. Oh. She died of cancer before the trial. Just pause to get Charnel's reaction to Don't that. Don't give a shit. Right, I thought so. The house in Salisbury North uh, was owned by the South Australian Housing Trust, but that's now been demolished. Mm. Um, and there are units for older people in its place now. Back in 2012, actually, I was trying to see whether this still happens, but back in 2012, a uh, shop was selling souvenirs of the murders. An eight year old woman by the name of Rosemary Joseph, she ran Snowtown Craft and Curios, and she was selling little um, pottery barrels, souvenirs, because uh, tourists, tourists were going there to get that. I can um,
2: see the shot of the bank it's a vault right yes I can see it in my head and I haven't googled I know you're always complaining that I'm googling while you're talking but I can see it I remember it. it was really google because I don't
1: know if the bank is still standing it was
2: big news and I remember seeing that the news shots of the barrels in there yeah
1: mm. google away google while I'm talking because oh, okay. uh, t- well she said that t- tourists were coming to the town and they wanted something more than fridge magnets and, and spoons she went on to say I'm conscious of the family members who have lost their loved ones are you and yet she was selling those um Uh, She said that uh, the town and souvenirs are so popular with some people because deep down they're grateful it's not them. We're a curious nation. We're sticky beaks. and We've also got a sense of humour. If we weren't, these curios would get a different reaction. She's kind of got a point. Kind of. Mm. But I don't know if she's still selling them. Um, She was also selling fridge magnets with the words, Snowtown SA, you'll have a barrel of laughs.
2: (gasps) There is one – I won't say who it is because it's controversial. I know I always say I don't give a shit about murderers and all that sort of stuff, and we shouldn't. But there is one murderer that I do feel bad for, but I I won't – I'll consider talking about it on another episode. Oh, no, I'm intrigued. Yeah, there's only one in the whole time I've done this job. There's only one murderer I've genuinely felt bad
1: for, and I think people would be outraged about it. So I need to consider if I talk about it or not, but there's one. But I'm putting it on the line right now. In the next episode of (laughs) Dead Bodies. I spoke to that. They're a murderer. I spoke to their lawyer and I said to them, I I can't wait for episode 18 now. (laughs) Chanel, where do you find dead bodies? Everywhere. No, not everywhere. In your mind, they're everywhere. No, they're supposed to be in a cemetery. Right. In the ground. Have you actually ever thought about the person who has to put them into the ground? the gravedigger. Of course. We have one on the line with us now. His name's Pat. Hello, Pat. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi. Um, Recently retired, I gather.
0: Yes, uh, after 41 years. I retired two years ago.
2: 41 years is such a long time in any profession. I don't know if people stick around doing the same thing for 41 years. Why did you stay in the job so long?
0: I used to enjoy it because I was working outside and uh, just dealing with people like because I'd been on both sides of the story, because nine months after I started, my brother was killed in a motorcycle accident. So I started to know what people felt like when they do it, so it sort of helped uh, me do the job better.
1: Pat, how old were you at the time, and how old was your brother?
0: I was coming up at 23, and he was 28.
1: So how did you actually get into being a grave digger?
0: Well, weird thing, actually. I've turned a bit of my trade. And um, I went down to the CES in those days. Yeah. I was after a builder's labourers' job and there was nothing going along. So the guy said to me, look, I've got a job for grave digger at Chelton Cemetery. And I said, oh, okay, well, uh, that'll do for the time being. But yeah, ended up staying there that long.
2: How has the job changed over the years from when you started? Were you sort of in there with shovels and is that how it still is today?
0: First, you're amongst the monumental areas, you had to use you pick and shovel most of the time like James, alright, in the sand you, just, you dig the hole out and you've got to shore it so it won't cave in and like if it's clay you've got to shore it up so you don't get uh, get trapped, so yeah, these days you've got small machines, can get down the pathways in, in some cemeteries and you can actually uh, use these small excavators to uh, dig majority of the grave but you've still got to get in and shore them up to prevent them caving in so yeah think that's about the only thing that's changed in the digging side of it. In the early days used to use uh, lowering tapes to lower the coffins and now they're using a lot of lowering devices which uh, mainly come from America and like they used to always carry the coffin on their shoulder to the grave Hmm. because of health and safety issues. They carry them by the handles these days or on trolleys.
1: Whenever you see them lowering those in with the tapes as they used to do, I always think it looks like it's going to Tip and go wrong. Has any this did that ever happen?
0: No, not, not really. It's, it's one of those things. You sort of you communicate as you're doing it.. CA: so, yeah.
2: And how many graves do you think you've been in?:
0: I've <laughs> always asked that question. Uh, <laughs> I would not have a clue, because in the early days I was mainly just digging with a shovel and stuff like that, and I could be doing probably three in a day depending on the depth of them, because that's another thing. So, yeah, you're probably doing, what, 20 a week or something like that.
1: Gee, that's a lot, over 41 years.
0: Yeah. I've just done
1: a rough calculation,
2: and if there's 260 working days in a year, and you times that by 41, it's 10,660, but that would only be if you were digging one grave for every working day. And you're saying sometimes you've done three in a day so yeah. it's about yeah. thirty thousand graves
0: yeah because like some days i have had to dig some in clay and they're taking you a day and a half to dig so yeah it's it's just various because depending on the depth because you only go down 1.5 meters which is five foot for one interment, uh 2.1 which is seven for for two interments, and 2.7 for three internments, so...
2: And have you ever been, because I've thought about this when there's already a grave in there, have you yeah. been digging and hit another grave?
0: Well, what you do, you actually have a, a prodder, so dig can a have a steel rod, so you test how far you're off the coffin. Oh. So you know how you can judge, sort of thing, so... So you just prod uh, it? Yeah, like you uh, just see how far you've got to go. Health regulations, you've got to stay six inches, which is 150 mils. Off the, the previous term. Yeah. Pat, have you
1: ever had to be involved in exhuming a body?
0: Uh, yes, several times.
1: So what's that like?
0: Well, like, with me, it goes against the grain, but a lot of times it's because, you know, like some people want to take a relative back overseas or it could be a, uh, something to do with a coroner's court or something like that. Mm. But uh, I just find it distressing, actually, sometimes. Yeah, you know, let a person rest sort mm. of thing the resting place. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So what's that,
1: in, a, in a usual day or in a usual funeral or burial, what sort yeah. of interaction do you have with the circle of mourners, with the family, the friends, with the actual body? What, what's your part in that?
0: I used to actually, like, involved in digging and I'd actually, uh, majority of the time I'd be probably taking the funeral. So uh, when the hearse pulled up, I'd probably do the paperwork down from the undertaker and and just proceed to the grave and lower the coffin. When the family want to be involved, you sort of you might talk to them. So yeah.
2: And have you ever been digging and found things in the ground?
0: No, uh, not not really. You might find a glass bottle or something like that. But you know, like it sometimes happened to uh, reopen graves that have been dug in the 40s or things like that. Mm. And uh, you might find an old old cream bottle which had the like they used to have the... The cardboard lid on them. Yeah, you might be digging and you might come across that in the grave. but Nothing really out of the ordinary sort of thing, so yeah.
1: So I find that, that sort of thing really exciting. I love finding things in the garden.
2: And can I ask you one question, and I don't know if you've thought about this, because I think about death all the time. Do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated?
0: I always was going to be buried, and now I'm, uh, I'm going the line of cremation. So yeah,
1: what what changed your mind?
0: Really, in the early days, uh, cremation wasn't as big as what it is now. Mm. Uh, that's virtually it used to be seventy percent burial to thirty percent cremation, but now it's gone the other way around. A lot of people have the same same idea about what they want to do with when they've gone. So yeah,
1: yeah. I still struggle with cremation. I
0: struggle with it. I yeah. just,
1: I'll come around, but I, I know a lot more people are, and I know it's probably the sensible option. It's a hard well, one to do.
0: Oh, well, actually, I, a friend in the bike group she wanted a, a mobile phone <laughs> in the coffin yeah. in case in case she came too. Yes. So yeah, and I thought, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's that's you have all. People saying weird things to you like that, but yeah.
1: Sounds like Dee can... No, I don't think that's weird at all. It's <laughs> very sensible. Just in case I get buried alive, I want to have yeah. a phone with me in case.
0: <laughs> well, actually, in the early days, apparently. Yes. They used to have a, a cord with a bell. This is. Dee Dee always
1: talks about Thank this. You. Thank you. has spoken about this. Shannon, I thought and I was making it up. Yes, go on.
0: No, I've heard that story too, and mm-hmm. I, thought I thought, I always think to myself, okay, uh, they do that. But my thought was, okay, you get buried, yep. but how do you pull the cord? Because you're in the coffin, yep. you've got um, all this dirt on top of you. That's right. Uh, so there's got to be some restriction with the mm-hmm. cord to be able to move. So Well, it's... you're
1: tied around your finger.
0: No, no, no. There'll be, be drag on the, so- the soil oh. holding it down. So, so, yeah, see? Yeah.
1: The
2: grave digger with 40 years' experience is telling you it's silly.
1: I'm getting a full intercom (laughs) wired up, so I'm ready to contact whoever, whenever, hot-wired to somewhere, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much. And recently retired, I gather. What are the hazards of the job? How's your back after all these years?
0: Um, Back's not too bad. Uh, Knees and hips, that's about it for me. And do you have nightmares about like
1: ghosts coming up from grave sites and getting you?
0: No, it's one of those things. I used to say, stop the dead ones you've got to worry about, it's the live ones.
1: That's right.
0: And also, too, I always just say to people, I put more people down than it put me down. So, Yes, uh, true. <laughs> and
2: yeah. you've had one foot in the grave th- over 30,000 times and you're still here.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Good yeah. on you. Fascinating chat. Yeah. Thank you so
1: much for joining us.
0: No worries. Dead Bodies is created by DD Dunleavy and Chanel Villa, and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.